0: Welcome to the National Community Church Podcast. We're thrilled to be able to share this weekend's message with you. You can find us on national.cc or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes.
1: Early in our marriage, someone gave uh, Joel and I some advice that that really encouraging us to just prioritize each other and that on milestone anniversaries to really kind of invest in some sort of time away. And we've, we have done that. And so... A number of years ago, we actually had a really, we were celebrating a special anniversary and we did this most incredible trip and we went to Paris. And as we were preparing for the trip to Paris, and you know, as you are dreaming and planning the itinerary, Pastor Dave on our team, he insisted, he (laughs) he actually insisted that we include, uh, we book a concert at the Saint Chapelle, an orchestra concert at the Saint Chapelle Cathedral. And in fact, it was such a magical experience that now I actually even, insist to anyone who is going to Paris that they see a concert at the Saint-Chapelle. And this cathedral, uh, it's actually filled with 1,113 stained glass windows. It's from the Gothic period, and it was originally built to house relics of the crucifixion of Christ. And the way that they time the concert, they time it just exactly beautifully that right when the sun is setting, So as you're listening to the music, the the sun just beautifully goes down through those 1,113 windows, reflecting light kind of all around the room. It was one of the most magical experiences, one of those moments that it almost feels like time freezes a little bit, right? And you... Um, you know, a tears kind of come to your eyes, your stomach like kind of clenches up and everything, you know, just comes into perfect focus. And so for just a minute, I want to invite you to just reflect on maybe the image of the St. Chapelle, and to listen, listen to this um, piece of music. That song that you just heard that composition was the Brandenburg Concerto number no. 3 by Johann Sebastian Bach. And it's actually really remarkable for its form and for its instrumentation, because instead of just one soloist, Bach did something unique, um, at least unique to him, and had, had what's called a three by three, three violins, three violas, and three cellos that would play. And there was actually no distinction, there's no um, soloist, but in fact they all play, all instruments play both the solo and the tutti all together. So um, you can imagine the magic of that moment. And then just that, there was this overwhelming feeling like, wow, these artists have practiced and practiced probably since they were quite little. And in fact, my daughter, my daughter Ella, she plays the piano mostly now, but she actually started kind of her musical um, learning playing the Suzuki violin. And her teacher actually pushed her to, to learn more than just, you know, the basics of using the instrument and playing the instrument, but really pushed her to start to study the the composers. And so she was quite little. She was actually only four, turning about to turn five. And so together, we started learning. Together, we would listen. And each lesson, she was asked to come back and say what she listened to and who the composer was to really kind of bring honor and dignity to that and to help her learn and grow. So we began to learn together. And we would listen to Mozart and Vivaldi and, and Mendelssohn. And, um, and actually, my favorite, because I studied ballet, was Tchaikovsky. And then we would listen to Bach. And Bach is one of the most famous composers in all of recorded history. He harmonized 370 chorals and wrote nearly 300 cantatas. And his cantatas have been called sermons in a song because almost all of them are based on some scriptural text. He lived according to his own confession, this quote, the sole object of all music should be the glory of God and pleasant recreation. In fact, at the beginning of each of his songs, he would often write JJ Jesu Huva for help me Jesus. And then at the end, he commonly noted SDG, Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be glory. In fact, I think you can see it written there in the bottom of one of his compositions. What would it be like if that's how we entered into the work of our lives and the things that we did, if we entered in giving such intention to bring glory to the Lord and our work and our lives and our relationships? And so today we actually conclude it's the final message in the Sola series, right? The five Solas, are the nucleus of the evangelical faith. They lay at the center of what distinguished the theology of the Reformation from the theology of the Roman Catholic Church in the 16th century, and soli Deo Gloria is the apex. It's the summary, it's the final note. Since salvation is by grace alone, sola gratia, through faith alone, sola fide, in Christ alone, solus Christus, revealed to us by God's scripture alone, sola scriptura, it follows that all of these things are to the glory of God alone, soli Deo Gloria. Theologian David Van Vandrunnen says, Soli Deo Gloria can be understood as the glue that holds the other solas in place, the center that draws the other solas into a grand unified whole. And we do know that God's glory is announced all through scripture, right? Soli Deo Gloria was the theme of the angelic hosts when they announced the arrival of the Savior um, to the shepherds in the field. We see the glory of God in the cloud in the Old Testament and the glory of God in the life and the ministry of Jesus and his divine glory runs not only through his death at Calvary but also through Christ's transformation in us sinners through the Holy Spirit and the glory of God is shown in the glorification of his people, his creation. Scripture uses the word glory to broadly capture the supremacy of God in everything and effectively glory is this is scripture's ultimate end. So a few times throughout this series we've we've marvelled on the magnificence of God, right? We've talked about that in a number of different times the way that his fingerprints leave hints of who he is all around us and Pastor Mark even reminded us of how even our hemoglobin testifies to to the glory of God. You know, you don't have to stop more than just a moment to, to reflect, to, to see God's glory in, in so many things that we maybe take for granted or don't think too much about, right? You only have to meditate for a moment on the way that cells divide and divide and divide and eventually form a thinking, feeling human not to be amazed at the creation of life. And his creation is so vast, we're actually very, um, it's, it's really beyond our own comprehension. In fact, scientists say that that um, out of all of the species that have been, then been named, that most of them remain undiscovered, actually, about 1.7 million plants and, an- and animals have been identified and named, but that's less than one quarter of the toly- total species estimated in the world. And I don't know why actually that, I find that a little bit funny because it was like the first thing that we were told to do by God. Like Adam was told to like name the plants and animals and like all this time goes by and we're like just a small percentage of the way there. So <laughs> I know I'm a little bit humbled, like, all right, Lord, like we'll, we'll get back to work. And so all of us this next like week, if we could just like identify and find just like one species and name it, then we'll just uh, get the ball rolling a little bit. But even the position of the earth is so perfectly um, positioned to sustain life, right? It's the exact amount of distance from the sun that it would just, um, any, any further it would be too cold, any closer, and, and just life on earth here could not sustain. And even the tilt of the earth is quite um, exact, that if the, if the tilt on its axis were either a tiny degree, one you know, degree, um, one way or the other, that would just change the ability for us to exist in the way that we do. So... Let's just reflect this week. Let's just be intentional, especially with the young people in our lives. Let's draw their attention to just the magnificence of God's glory all around us. Let's echo this, what the psalmist did and in Psalm 19:1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. And in Psalm 8, 1. Lord, Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. In fact, one of my favorite, one of my favorite worship songs I've been listening to it all week long is the worship song that says if the stars were made to worship, so will I. If the mountains bow in reverence, so will I. If the oceans roar your greatness, so will I. For if everything exists to lift you high, so will I. But beyond those miracles that are happening all around us, Um, There's, of course, those moments, like the one that I described in the St. Chappelle, that just make us so acutely aware of God's glory and his power and his goodness, even. A.W. Tozer, um, you know, we we say this quote so much around here because it really is special to us that what comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And I might just challenge you to an exercise this week, that maybe at some point this week or maybe when you're gathered with family together, you would just ask each other, when is a time that you have been the most acutely aware of God's glory? Maybe it was a time that you, like, like we did in one of our travels, got to glance with our children out at the glaciers that God had created. Or maybe the first time that you looked out over the caverns of the Grand Canyon and felt the, just the hugeness of God's expansive creation. Maybe it's when you got an unwelcome or an unexpected diagnosis and you felt just everything in your life come into just distinct clarity. Or maybe it was like me the first time that my, when my first baby was born and laid on my chest and blinked up at me for the first time and you felt the magnitude of what it means to just um, care for another with such, such depth. When have you been most acutely aware of God's glory? God's glory is announcing itself to us in this moment, in these moments. But what does that mean about the way in which we are to live, right? That, that's what we're to do when we study the scripture, to examine what, what God is speaking to us and calling, how he's calling us to live. And taking a cue from Bach, you know, we should be prompted that every part of our lives should point to the glory of God, should be done unto glory and to the glory of God alone, Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. And 1 Corinthians 10.31 similarly says, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it all to the glory of God. But here's the thing, right? We get our priorities mixed up. And so I'm just, indulge me for just a moment. I'm gonna tell, this is a really silly story, and I'll be honest, I've thought twice about, should I even tell this story? But I think, I think it's gonna stand out and make us remember something in the end. So a woman went into a pet store and she purchased a parrot to keep her company. She was lonely, wanted the parrot to keep her company. So she took it home, but she came back the next day and she said, um, the parrot won't talk, it's not saying anything, she's telling the shopkeeper. So the shopkeeper says, hey, well actually, why don't you buy it a mirror? Because, you know, parrots like to look at their reflection in the mirror, and then maybe by looking in the mirror, then the parrot will begin to talk. So the woman buys the, the parrot a mirror, and she takes it home. The next day, she comes back, and she says, well, I bought the mirror, but the parrot is still is not talking. And she says, well, you know, why don't you buy a ladder? Parrots really like to climb up a ladder, so maybe if it climbs up and down the ladder, then, you know, it will, it will feel comfortable and, and want to talk. So she buys the parrot a ladder next day he comes back. The parrot is still not speaking. It's still not talking to me. And this is why I bought the parrot. Okay, so what about a swing? I've heard that if you buy a parrot a swing, you know, they like to help them feel relaxed. So then maybe then it will talk. So the woman buys the parrot a swing and takes it home. And the next day she returns back and she says to the shopkeeper, so I have to tell you, my parrot died. And the shopkeeper says, you parrot died? That I'm so sorry, that's so terrible. Well, did it say anything to you before, before it died? Did it finally talk? She said, yeah. The parrot said, don't they have any bird food at that store? <laughs> that is the silliest story. and it's probably the only thing you're going to remember from this whole day. But the idea is that we continue, we mess up our priorities, right? We continue to invest in this and what about this? And maybe this will do what I'm wanting it to do. But, but it, all that we're supposed to be about or thinking about is God's glory. That's what everything is supposed to direct. Like God's glory is the bird food, I guess, is what I'm saying today. So, Okay, so for believers, for followers of Christ, the all-encompassing motive behind our activities is the glory of God. And we keep buying in to all of these other things. 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11 says, Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides so that in all things, God might be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So that's a challenge to us today. That everything that we do, our church life and our family life and our vocation and our education, our possessions, everything unto the glory of God. But here's the strange tension. So I just, you know, listed out these verses that call us into that and the, the strange tension in the danger in reducing solely Deo Gloria to a call for a moral response on our behalf is that that God's glory is about him. And by doing that we can sometimes inadvertently um, produce this awkward response of centering it on ourselves. And often the way that even Christians talk about God's glory, we have a tendency to refer to the glory of God in context of ourselves. But if we review actually and study through, and I did quite a bit this week, study through the references of God's glory throughout scripture, there are many occasions that it calls followers to give God glory in their worship. And then there's a couple of places, many that I, or a couple that I just read, where it exhorts people to do all things unto God's glory. But most often scripture appeals to God's glory as a way of describing God. So to honor his glory properly, we have to remember it's about God. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually not about us. And this is, you know, it's it's very countercultural. Everything in our society tells us that 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 to orient things around self, right? Everything is in, in pursuit of self. And sometimes it even sounds healthy right? Like, you know, seek that promotion or, or just position for the opportunity or, or even set firm boundaries. <laughs> Christians exist for the singular purpose to glorify our Lord and Savior. So as we head into this Thanksgiving week, I would maybe issue a challenge. It's a challenge I'm giving to myself to pay attention to even my Thanksgiving, right? Because sometimes I say, thank you, God, for my health, Thank you for my job, for my home, for my family. Even my thanksgiving often orients to, to what it is that God does for me. So I'm challenged to just honor him, to declare who he is and, and, and his character outside of myself. Good. Good. When we fail to do that, you know, we really are just, um, we're just like the Israelites in the Exodus. When they, 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 um, created this calf that they worshiped to, right? And maybe now our golden calf that we worship is its success or maybe it's stability or, or whatever it is that we're glorifying. And all humans throughout earth, we will declare something, the glory of something. We will either declare for our own glory and our own greatness or through God's worth and God's glory. And God's word speaks pretty plainly about um, his unwillingness to share in that way. Isaiah 42, eight reminds us that he, um, he says, uh, the Lord, that is my name, my glory, I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols, whatever they might be, golden calves or whatever we create in our own life. Psalm nineteen twelve and 13 says, we should pray that God would forgive us of the sins of glory stealing. St. Augustine described our sin of pride Um, he, the Latin term in Coruatus and say, it means Latin, it's Latin for the turned curve, turning inward to oneself. We're turned inward to ourselves. Our gaze is naturally turned inward. We kind of inadvertently pull ourselves back onto the throne again and again. And and somehow, um, you know, we have difficulty keeping God in that place. So, you know, the, what it requires is an ongoing dying of self. Sometimes we talk about a dying of self as in our first step into a relationship with Christ, right? We will lie down ourself, and we will walk kind of in his, in his ways. But I would suggest that it actually requires an ongoing dying of self. Paul talked in Colossians 3 where he says, put to death whatever belongs in your n- earthly nature, your impurity, your sexual immorality, your lust, evil desires, greed. You used to walk in those ways, but now you must rid yourself of these things. Do not lie to each other and say, um, and, and say put on a new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and the image of a creator. And I imagine it, and maybe this is how you do too, sometimes I imagine it when we talk about putting on a new self, that it's like, you know, having a, an outfit or clothing that's dirty, then you remove it and you put on something, you know, something fresh. And then it's like said and done. But the, 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 the truth is that our old self, it doesn't stay dead. Come on. Come on. The, the outfit doesn't stay clean. It takes a renewing and a reoffering and a recommitting and a re um, refreshing in the Lord. Another great Latin phrase, semper reformanda, always reforming. Always reforming. We have to reform ourselves always, continually, continue to take ourselves off that throne. So that looks like saying to ourselves again and again, it's not about me, it's not about me it's not about me, it's not about me, it's not about me. And that's easy until someone steps on the you, right? So the two challenges, here's two challenges that I'm giving to myself is that this week, like I said, our thanksgiving, our thanksgiving unto the Lord would be honoring him for who he is, totally unattached from what it gains us. Just praising him for his glorified nature. And then two, deferring self. What if you just, and and believe me, the Lord will prompt you on where he intends you to do it. But what if you looked for those opportunities this week, this season, to defer self? And I promise you, God will be honored. So maybe you're saying, well, Nina, if all of this, you know, emphasis on God's glory alone, what does that mean for us as his people? And, you know, even the last time that you were speaking, you were talking about our our Imago Dei, we're made in the image of God, and doesn't this kind of demean us or or God's intention for us? And, And it is true that we are the pinnacle of God's creation. We were made in his image. But it's also true, and we see that, of course, in Genesis 1 and 2, that God created the plants and the animals and the flowers and the oceans, and then us made in his image. But we also see it in Genesis three, when humankind fell into sin and it distorted that original design to glorify God and that's what's at work every time that we're, that we are um, we're looking to remember we're looking to remember the original glory and intent of God. Romans one God worked his grand plan to save us from our own destruction, and that includes, that requires us to return the glory to him again and again. So it is a VIP story. He does invite us in, but we have the opportunity to return the glory to him again and again. So how do we do this, right? How do we return the glory to God that he deserves? So I mentioned it earlier. It's the denying of self The Greek word glory, it literally means something that has intrinsic value or worth. And when we experience even a fraction of the weight of who God is, there's only one response, and it is utter surrender. And in this time of radical self-centeredness, this call, this soli deo gloria, it's called to a radical vision of God-centeredness. And I began to wonder and and even pray this week that what if if we actually became known for this as God's people? We became known for, for, um, for not only a centeredness on the Lord, but on others, right? And it came down to transform even our work and our, and our politics and our thinking and our conversations and our endeavors and the things that we were in pursuit of, that there was a real distinction of the way that our lives looked than our neighbors'. And we can make this a regular practice. I think part of doing this is, is to, to even speak the words to ourselves. Maybe it's an internal mantra that you have or maybe it's something that you read. In fact, I would maybe, you know, we, we got to hear the creed at the beginning of this message and I would maybe encourage that we just reread it to ourselves every once in a while and we remind ourselves of what it is that we confess. What it is that we profess is that there is just one God. He's the Father Almighty. He's the creator of heaven and earth. And then here's the clincher that it's not me. Right. That he, he is the one, he is the one for who we profess and confess and draw our lives to. And then I will remove myself from that spot, from that glory spot. And so maybe you make it a more habit to, to recite those words. Remind yourself of what it is that you believe and to whom glory belongs. And I think the gift in that, the gift in even recognizing that he is the creator and I am actually just a created it actually it releases a level of pressure right i actually think it's really important for our spiritual health and our mental health because it's it's a willingness to accept that i actually have limits that I have limits, I can't achieve on my own, I can't even love well on my own, I can't do all of these things on my own, and by kind of resting in that place, actually, that's where we find our our deepest, truest health and peace, and all the things and the fruit of the spirit will promise us come pouring out, when we are able to rest, that he is the creator, he is the one who will sustain, and I just have to walk in obedience to him. So we're gonna surrender, and then we're gonna acknowledge Going to acknowledge that he's the creator. That means paying attention, paying attention to the little things around us. I mean, I mentioned some things about you know science earlier, and and those are just a few kind of you know, anecdotal things, but I do actually hope that we're teaching our young people and reminding them of just these magnificent things that are at work either inside of their bodies or in just the earth that surrounds us really do testify to God's glory and his, his miraculousness again and again. But part of it is just acknowledging and recognizing his glory in those big things, but also in just the little things. Yeah. And John Calvin said it this way, he observed, he said, at first, when you turn your eyes, there's no portion of the world, however minute, that does not exhibit at least some sparks of beauty. While it is not impossible to contemplate the vast and beautiful fabric as it extends around without being overwhelmed by the immense weight of his glory. So I had this idea that what if, I know um, a lot of us keep a gratitude journal where we give thanks to the Lord, but what if we actually kept a noticing journal? (laughs) where we just notice the things of the, the Lord, the glory of the Lord that's on display. Right. Wow. So I'll try it and you try it and we can text each other or share and, and encourage each other to be, to be noticing, noticing the glory of God. And then we'll celebrate it. Good. I see that sunset, Lord, like, yeah. well done. Uh, I hear the crash of those ocean waves on the shore, like, oh, well done. Or I see, I see that prayer being answered, Lord. Well done, bravo. I hear that laughter birds and community. So what if we had just a noticing journal we acknowledged? And then what if we could practice, grow in finding delight? We celebrate God's magnificence when we find joy and we find satisfaction in the Lord. And as we fall into an ever-increasing delight in God, he just glorifies himself through abundance that he bestows on us. And I don't know if it's a greater abundance or if we just are more aware of the abundance, but I do promise you that will be true. Paul in Ephesians 1 says, blessed be the, Father, the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And we honor him when we recognize him and we honor him when we enjoy it. Most of us probably have someone in our life that just displays this well. They just find kind of joy in each moment, find, um, you know, seem to savor the goodness of every good and little thing. I would not be that person in your life, but I'm working on it. (laughs) The Westminster Catechism says the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So I think we honor and recognize God's glory when we delight in His goodness. We come to enjoy Him of the source of all that is good and joyful and brings pleasure, and then we offer our Thanksgiving. Psalm fifty twenty three says, "He who offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving glorifies Me," and I am going to be saying to that verse to myself. This week, leading up to our Thanksgiving holiday, he who offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving glorifies me. First Thessalonians five eighteen says, "In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus." And then through confession, this is one we could maybe stretch on a little bit more. We're through our confessing of our of our sin, of our missteps. We're putting on display His glory by declaring His righteousness. David models this for us in Psalm 51. Against you, you, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Against you, God. It's against you every time that I misstep or position for self or forget um, that you're trustworthy. And so I would ask you, do you have a pathway for confession in your life? Do you have... um, someone in your life that you trust? Do you have a community of people? Do you have intention, whether through journaling or prayer with the Lord, to to wrestle with, to offer and to lay down? Lord, I've done it again. I put myself in that place, Lord. God, I confess. I think um, the scripture is really clear about that being an important part of our healing and our growth and our, and our recognizing of his glory when we are able to confess and acknowledge our own shortcomings. And through obedience, God's glory is made manifest in the worship and in the obedience of his people. And trusting in him, trusting him to do what his word says is d- demonstrating our trust. Trusting in him is our way of, of honoring that he really is the one worthy of glory that i can trust to do it as you say lord and not find my own path forward and finally i would i would offer that that dedication <laughs> i don't know if you would say prioritization in my life this this whole year this whole calendar year that's been one of my most consistent prayers maybe it's because there's you know more that can fit on to be done that can fit on a to-do list or, or more things that have to happen that can fit on a calendar as I'm praying again and again, God, would you help me to prioritize? Yeah. Yeah. Would you give me clarity and, and, and direction and, um, about how to prioritize and, and right. what things to, that you're leading me in? But I would also just push us a little bit that I think more than ever right now, we are plagued by um, distraction. So I've been speaking out. In fact, at our house of prayer on Thursday night, someone prayed to bind the spirit of distraction. And I have been echoing that because I'm like, wow, I need that. And perhaps you need that. And whether it comes from our news or it comes from from you know social media, whether it comes from just the things that are, in our lives that are keeping us off priority. I don't know what those are for you. I think, you know, you probably know what those are, but I'm going to just declare in the Lord's name that we would bind the spirit of distraction and that we would invite his leadership to help us prioritize particularly if you're like me and there's just more things than can fit right now, God, you have to lead us, Lord. Would you give us um, the ability to be brave even, Lord, to be brave because it means saying no or disappointing or denying of self. So God, lead us to dedicate, to prioritize. And finally, uh, release You know, part of all of that is the same. It's release that we are going to lay down our control. And so I might ask you, um, kind of in the nature of obedience, but in release, do you you keep a Sabbath? Do you have hours in your week that are protected for um, delighting and for experiencing the Lord's joy, for being able to be those noticers of the things around you? I might encourage you to take some steps in that direction to just create a little bit of space for that. And I, don't, I think that can look different for each person, but it's about saying, Lord, I'm going to acknowledge. And you know, here's one distinction too. I think sometimes where we maybe get this a little bit off is we think sometimes that um, Sabbath is a reward for hard work. Like we work, 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 work. And then this is my day. I'm gonna take a big, deep breath. But actually, um, you know, Sabbath is actually, sometimes we're able to work from a place of rest. Yeah that by taking a breath or taking a noticing moment or taking a time to just delight in the things that bring you true joy and pleasure, that that from that place is where we're then able to give our best gifts, as the scripture says, to the Lord's glory. So I would encourage you in that to just find times and margins for that, to maybe even challenge yourself with that question. Here's a question for you. What is it that brings you delight? I would say for some of us, we've gotten so off the mark with that that we don't even know anymore. (laughs) We don't even know what are the things that bring us joy and delight. Unfortunately for me, my usually have to do with sunshine and we're going into a few hard months here where it's nice and gray outside. So I I don't know if I have to go on a trip or something, Joel, I'm just saying. So reflecting on what is it that brings you delight and making space for that and doing everything unto the Lord, the work that you do out of that place. So I'm gonna actually invite our worship team to come and I'm going to invite um, a good friend of mine, a long time investor, just the spirit in his heart in this church, Michael Carr, because to close, I want us to read actually John Wesley's covenant prayer. This is a prayer that he adapted from the Puritan tradition and he actually expected that all Methodists would, would pray this prayer at the beginning of each new year as a way of remembering and renewing their kind of covenant unto the Lord. And I think this prayer is really beautiful because it describes what it looks like to surrender to the sovereignty of God and to live according to um, the self-giving love and the self-emptying love of Jesus. So let's just listen. Go ahead, Michael.
0: Um, First, I'd like to ask everyone to give some praise for the word that the Lord put in in his mind and in her heart. I know I, I feel blessed by it and I want to thank you. I love thank you. I love you, my thank sister, you. I really I love do. Too. Um, please uh, join me in this John Wesley's Covenant Prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, let me be your servant.
1: And under your servant.
0: Under your command.: Under your command. I am no longer my own.
1: I am no longer my own.
0: but yours. But yours. Put me to what you will. What you will. Place me with whom you will.
1: Place me with whom you will.
0: Put me to doing.
1: Put me to doing.
0: Put me to suffering.
1: Put me to suffering.
0: Let me be employed for you.
1: Let me be employed for you.
0: Or laid aside for you.
1: Or laid aside for you.
0: Praise for you.
1: Praise for you.
0: Or criticize for you.
1: Or criticized for you.
0: Let me be full.
1: Let me be full.
0: Let me be empty.
1: Let me be empty.
0: Let me have all things.
1: Let me have all things.
0: And let me have nothing.
1: Let me have nothing.
0: I freely and fully surrender all things.
1: I freely and fully surrender all things.
0: To your glory and service.
1: To your glory and service.
0: And now, O wonderful and holy God,
1: And now, O wonderful and holy God.
0: Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer.
1: Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer.
0: You are mine. You are mine. And I am yours.
1: And I am yours. So be it. So be it.
0: And the covenant which I have made on earth.
1: And this covenant which I have made on earth.
0: Let it also be made in heaven. Let it also be made in heaven. Amen.
1: Amen.